2: Welcome, one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, republicbroadcasting.org. Today is Saturday, August 2nd, 2014. This show is live every Saturday evening from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Time. That's 9 p.m. to midnight Central Time. We have a great show lined up for you here tonight. We're going to be continuing the extended version of the Cosmic Abandonment presentation, exploring the interconnections between the interference theory of human origins to the current human condition. I'll be going through another section of the Cosmic Abandonment presentation this evening during the first two hours of the show, and then I'll be taking your calls in hour number three. The call-in number to join us for those who may wish to get in the queue early is 800-313-9443. Once again, the call-in number to join us in the third hour of the show tonight, 800-313-9443. One quick event announcement before we begin with the uh, information for tonight's broadcast. I will be giving a live all-day seminar in Manchester, Connecticut on Saturday, October 4th, 2014. The seminar is called Demystifying the Occult. This is presented by Pattern Recognition Time, Art Capozzi hosting, and It will be taking place Saturday, October 4th, 2014 from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., an all-day seminar. It will be taking place at the Manchester History Center at 175 Pine Street in Manchester, Connecticut. The zip code is 06040. Free parking is available at the Manchester History Center for those who are coming from out of town. Here's a brief description of the seminar. Mark Passio, the no-nonsense teacher of streetwise spirituality, will take his guests on a journey of exploration, examining the world of the occult and its symbols. What exactly is the occult? Why should you know about it? What kind of knowledge comprises the occult? Who possesses such knowledge and how do they use it? How is occultism different from mysticism? what can the secret language of symbolism communicate? How is symbolism being used in our everyday lives? These themes will be deeply explored in the seminar. And then in the second part of the seminar, I will be giving a discourse on the major arcana of the tarot and breaking down its symbolism as a case study in occult symbolism. So um, once again, Saturday, October 4th, 2014, demystifying the occult in Manchester, Connecticut. The advance tickets are only a $25 donation. You could send a, a check or money order payable to Arthur Capozzi to 500 Monroe Turnpike, Suite 142, Monroe, Connecticut, 06468. At the door, tickets for this seminar are a $30 cash donation. So that's the only event announcement I have for tonight's show. Really looking forward to the all-day seminar in Connecticut coming up in October. Hopefully uh, I could see a lot of people out there. Hopefully it'll be a packed house. Um, One other quick uh, uh, announcement. There is a donation button on the left-hand side of the whatonearthishappening.com website. If you do feel that you have received value from the information that has been presented and shared on the What on Earth is Happening radio show and website, uh, you can feel free to make a voluntary donation to help support my work so that it may continue uh, long into the future. Uh, with that having been said, uh, we could jump into the material for tonight's show. I want to, as always, direct everyone's attention to the What on Earth is Happening.com radio show page. Uh, On the uh, show with the player for the broadcast, Uh, underneath that you will see images for tonight's show, and um, underneath that you'll see the slides, uh, the numerical links for the slides that I will be presenting on the show tonight and have been presenting over the last uh, several weeks so you can click on those and it will bring up a a slideshow uh, presentation type format and you could follow along with uh, the uh, slides for the presentation so um, if you don't want to follow along that way via the web you can always download the slides I have underneath uh, the two sections of uh, slide images a um, zip file link, a zip archive link. You can download that to your computer and unpack it and uh, open up those uh, images locally on your own computer if you wish. So with that having been said, uh, let's begin. Uh, Last week we uh, ended up on, I believe it was slide number 97 was the last slide that we covered, so I'll begin there. We were talking about how in the ancient past these uh, groups of non-human entities that came to our planet had uh, essentially set up rulership over the people because they essentially created the people through a hybridization, a genetic modification process. And, um, you know, they set themselves up essentially as our gods. Whenever I've made, tried to make this point abundantly clear, whenever I use the term gods to describe these beings, I do not think it is not my personal belief that these are any kind of supernatural entities. They are simply beings like us that have arrived at a much higher level of technological advancement. Perhaps uh, not. A higher level of spiritual uh, and true intelligence advancement yes they have a lot of a lot more intellectual advancement and advancement in technologies but I do not feel that these beings are gods of any kind in any way whatsoever Uh, And there are certainly not any gods that I would fall down and worship, uh, nor do I believe anyone else should ever have or ever should. So I don't know how much more clear or abundant I could make that. You know, I still get emails from people saying I call these beings gods. You know, this is what the ancient peoples in many ways called them because these beings were utterly ruthless and brutal and wanted in many cases to be worshipped as gods here. So, um you know, my position, I don't think could be any more clear on that for anybody that's still, um, you know, uh, spotty on that and doesn't understand my position. I mean, you just have to go back and listen because I've reiterated this over and over again on this podcast. So, um, as always, I always tell people go back to podcast number one and listen forward to the entire series for in order, not skipping around. That's the way you'll get the maximum value out of this whole broadcast. You know, we're, covering the advanced material right now that has a lot of prerequisite knowledge in order to understand so you know, people joining just now—if this is one of your first times listening to the show—it's not a good time to tune in. You know, you want to have under your belt the prerequisite knowledge that is contained in the uh, prior 164 podcasts. This will be podcast number 165. So, uh, as always, uh, the images are also included with each podcast on the podcast archive page on the What on Earth is Happening dot com website. Uh, going back to the presentation, um, you know the the vengeful and jealous uh, God of the Old Testament is these beings. This is what we have to understand. The Old Testament isn't really truly describing the God of creation; it's describing these beings that came here in the ancient past. We'll pick it up from right there on the other side of the break, ladies and gentlemen. Stay with us. You're listening to what on earth is happening. We'll be right back. Welcome back everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're talking about the connection between the interference theory of human origins and the current human condition. And I want to remind people, that's really what we're ultimately talking about here tonight. How this all relates to what humanity is going through today in the modern world. We may be talking about ancient events that happened in the far distant human past, but they all conditioned uh, the psychological state of humanity uh, such that we're in the situation that we're in today. And on slide 97, I was talking about this depiction of the Old Testament God uh, as not being anything to do with the God of creation, the true God of creation, the creator of the universe. Uh, These are depictions in these... Ancient texts, not only the biblical text, but the texts of many other ancient cultures throughout the world, of these non human entities that came here in the ancient past and essentially set themselves up as our gods. They created the human spe- species as a slave race, a slave species for their own purposes, to do labors that they were loath to do. And they Essentially, wanted to be worshipped and served while they were here on an uncomfortable mission that they didn't really want to be on. And there's, throughout these ancient accounts, thousands of depictions and meticulous descriptions of the ways that these so-called gods wanted to be worshipped and served by their creations, the, the human beings that they created, in ways that the God of creation would have absolutely no use for or would never demand. Uh, asking them to make m- meticulous building projects and go through intricate, meticulous ceremonies on their behalf, to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings to them, you know, and to just do every other manner of, um, you know, menial labor that you could possibly think of. Uh, the god of creation would be nothing like this I mean you know the god of creation has no requirements for anything it's the god of creation it's the force the underlying force of intelligence and creation inherent in the whole universe it wouldn't make all these petty demands of of you know what it looked at to be lesser beings as these so-called gods did and you know it they ruled the people with an iron fist in many cases, okay? And, you know, it's, you see all kinds of jealousy, you see all kinds of pettiness, you see all kinds of high level of ego. And it just doesn't really fit the description of a a true God. But if you understand it in the context of that these beings were from elsewhere and came here for their own purposes, for their own agenda, and made us as their so-called helper race, really in effect their slave race, it makes a whole lot more sense when understood in that context. And then, you know, you see depictions of, uh, or you read about depictions of giants in these texts as well. And that doesn't make sense unless you understand the background, you know, and you have to go into older texts, not just the biblical texts, which tell about these encounters in such a watered down way in comparison to some older texts where the, the detail is preserved. So, you know, this is what we were essentially starting to talk about last week. What I really want to get into this week more is how religion came about as a result of these beings' presence, So if we move on to slide number 98, you know, we have all this religious infighting that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years on this planet, and it's likely to continue into the distant future. Uh, Doesn't really look like there's any sign of it abating. You know, people have constantly been fighting about what is the will of God, what does God want us to do, have their own... You know utterly ridiculous set of beliefs they're utterly ridiculous set of practices, and I don't care what religion it is. trust me, I'll get to uh, you know the task of offending them all at one point or another during the broadcast tonight and in the future and probably have already in the past uh, at people who know me and know what I talk about on the show know I have no reverence for organized religion it's probably the thing that has been uh, responsible for the most death and destruction on this planet since humanity has existed on it. And there's a good reason for that. All of these people who have started these religions, you know, uh, believe that they were the chosen people of of the gods, believe that they were the ones who had the uh, divine instructions directly from the god's mouth, you know, who knew what the god's will was and knew just how to carry it out. And in many cases, this is true, because these gods did interact with humanity in different sects. And certain of these gods, certain of these ancient non-human entities did essentially pick a a certain people to carry out their bidding and often pit them against other people and so there was conflicting and contradictory orders given you know and different people chosen in different parts of the world to do different god's biddings this is what we have to understand about the origins of religious sects in general that the reason that they have so many conflicting beliefs is that many of them were worshiping different actual gods with a small g in double quotes okay these beings that the sumerians referred to as the anunnaki okay you know they interfaced with humanity by appointing either a human representative or what I call a demigod representative, one of the Nephilim creatures, the hybrid species between them and humanity that we talked about in past weeks and setting them up as a king or a priest or in many cases a hybrid hybrid blend between a king and a priest. You know, that essentially was the representative of one of these gods on the earth because these gods often didn't even want to spend a whole lot of time on the surface of this planet instead spending it in way stations or in craft that were in orbit of the planet so you know we have to understand these beings gave us all of the uh, cultural worldwide religions they were the ones who essentially started these religious practices, and they were started on the behalf of their worship and their caretaking, and you know to follow all of their orders and offer sacrifices unto them and worship and serve them in any way that they deemed necessary during their stay here on Earth. Now, when we understand religions in these in this different context, it makes so much more sense, infinitely more sense than just primitive people developing, you know, beliefs that are just completely at random for no reason. You know, when we understand that these beings set these practices into motion, they were the origins of it, of all these non seemingly nonsensical belief systems when you understand that they were a physical presence at some point in the ancient human past and they set up these organizations as their quote unquote you know chosen people or their religious factions to interface between the you know hordes of humanity and themselves as the rulers as the gods you understand how the religions ultimately came to be when you look at it from that perspective Whereas, you know, traditional um, explanations for how religions came to be, you know, really lack, uh, you know, a lot of common sense. So when we understand the true origins of all of these religious cults, we can understand their deep irrationality throughout the ages and why they were so quick to go to war with each other because they were being driven by, you know, the will of these seemingly supernatural entities back in the ancient past that had incredibly advanced technology. And, you know, if they didn't follow their orders, they probably would have been wiped out. We'll pick it up from there on the other side of the break. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. We're continuing with the Cosmic Abandonment Extended Presentation. We were talking about the origins of cultural religions throughout the world and how many people came to see themselves as the chosen people of the gods, that they were the ones who knew the will of a particular god. You know, and the gods that they worship seem to have some some different qualities, some similar qualities. Always making different demands on them. Always basically pitting them against other human beings, because this is exactly what happened in the ancient world. These beings essentially had selfish motives that called themselves our gods, and. They enlisted human beings to essentially do their bidding in factions and cults and different groupings, and said that they were the the chosen of that particular god, and if the you know they did his bidding, they'd have everything that they needed, and always set them against other human beings, you know as long as the god's agenda was being served in the way they wanted it, you know he would allow them to continue and live and have a modicum of you know uh resources on the earth to live by but you know if he if they didn't follow along with them the kind of technology that would be unleashed against them was horrifying this is the origin of essentially every organized institutional religious sect on the face of the earth and it's the origin of the concept of the priest class in general this idea that there need to be needs to be intercessors or intermediaries between the God of Creation and humanity, you know, just because these beings that called themselves gods who came here in our in our ancient past were, um, you know, they they set up the, this priest class as intermediaries between them and the rest of the the slave species. One thing I want to say before we move on from uh, this slide is um, for people who defend religion and I get a lot of them, you know, I I constantly get emails of people telling me if it wasn't for religion, this planet would be in total chaos as if it's not in total chaos with religion, as if religion hasn't been one of the main reasons that this planet is in total chaos today, you know? First of all, that statement has so many logical fallacies in it to begin with, and it's based in such ignorance, it's almost incomprehensible that anybody could utter it. Um, besides that, you know, the person just cannot even see that we're already in chaos. He's saying if there weren't for, if it weren't for the religions, we would be in total chaos. You know, as if somehow implying religion is keeping things in order, implying that somehow we have order on earth. I mean, there can't be any more highly ignorant of a statement to begin with right there. You know, for people who are still religiously diseased, you know, and believe in these superstitions, and I'm not telling you don't accept that there's a higher power in creation or accept that there a, a God exists, the creator of the universe exists, the creative force in the universe exists. I'm not telling you not to be, believe or accept that. What I'm saying is to subscribe to organized religion is utter superstition. And it's just this, you know, programmed belief that gets hammered into us. It's almost encoded into our DNA that we accept these, you know, totally pre-programmed belief systems that are just seemingly running like a computer program on their own. With previous generations programming the next generation. And people can't get out of that cycle because they can't come to rely upon themselves. They can't come to understand that they need to go into knowledge of the self in order to come out of this crisis, this spiritual and psychological crisis that humanity is in. No, they don't want to do that because that's hard work. That's maybe having to go into fearful places within your own psychology and do cleanup work there, you know? We don't want to do that. Anything but look at those areas of the self. Now we want to externalize all power. Look to the outside somehow. So, not only do I want to, did I want to bring that topic up, but I also want to say that the organized followers and organized leaders of religion have largely done absolutely nothing in exposing the worldwide control agenda. They've done nothing in exposing slavery. They've done nothing in exposing mind control. They've done nothing in explaining to people how immoral the current culture of humanity is. They've done nothing about really speaking out against violence ideology, control-based ideology, speaking out against government. Okay? absolutely zero. And, you know, there's a few here and there. There's a few people here and there, often non-denominational ministers of some kind. You know, you'll see a few and it's a handful. But the people who say that they're men of God, they say that they're holy people. They say that they're moral people. They say that they're leaders Trying to guide other people toward morality. Often they have zero idea of what morality really is. They're talking about conditioning people into religious beliefs, thinking that somehow that's morality. They know nothing of natural law. They know nothing of true moral law in many cases. You know, they're not actually looking at the difference between true right and wrong, about whether an action causes harm or does not cause harm. How many of them even explain things in that context at all ever, hardly any they don't talk about rights, they don't talk about freedom they, they won't even tell you that the highest quest of all spirituality in general is freedom is to be free and to live unfettered and unchained and not a slave to, to understand your own sovereignty no, they won't talk about that they won't touch those topics with a 10 foot pole you know but they'll tell you not to eat meat on Friday or how to observe some other ridiculous custom involving, you know, food or clothing or whatever. It's just, you know, it's, just utter, it's all utter nonsense. Utter nonsense with absolutely no substance behind it when it comes to real spirituality and understanding real morality and real freedom. So quite frankly, look, if you're a religious follower, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want your email. I don't care what you think of that statement. I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in your nonsense belief system. I don't want to talk about it at all. Okay? It's a waste of my time. I don't care how mean you think that sounds. I don't care how you perceive that. I don't believe in nonsensical superstitions that came from the race of beings that enslaves us that enslaved and probably still does enslave us. I'm not interested in the worship of those beings, which is what all the religions are about. Okay? Period. So don't send me emails picking up for religion. I'm not interested. As soon as I detect that that's the the vibe of it, I'm deleting it. I'm not interested. I don't know how much clearer I could put it. I know what religion is, bottom line. I'm not saying I believe in what it is. I'm telling you I know what it is and I know where it came from. Therefore, there's nothing else I need to understand about any particular culture or religion. And I've studied them all. It's not because I haven't studied them or looked into into them. I've done extensive and intensive research and, and accumulation of knowledge in comparative religious studies. So I know all about the religions. Of the world. And I'm telling you, I find them all to be control system based nonsense. And they are the thing that has put chaos into the world, not keeping it back, not holding it back, not keeping a modicum of order in the world at all. It's exactly the reverse. I've said from day one that religion is the problem with the earth, it's the problem with this planet, it's what keeps this planet in slavery. Is religion the the a very word means to hold back, to tie back, to stop from forward progress. Well, what does that sound like? Does that sound like something you want in place to stop you from forward progress and your understanding of truth, and your understanding of consciousness, and your understanding of self? You know, I mean, it, it's just it, but the bottom line is when it when it comes to this topic, there are people who can't think. There are people who refuse to think. They don't want to think for themselves. They want a crutch. They want a superstition to blindly follow. That's all it comes down to because they're weak people. Get as offended about that as you like. We'll pick this up on the other side. Stay with us. back everyone. In the last segment I was going off on a kind of mini tirade against organized religion. Before we leave slide number 98 and move forward in the presentation I just want to say one more thing about this topic. Just think of the reason why organized religious leaders in the religious community do not want to step forward and talk about the control system do not want to talk about the slavery that humanity is living under, do not want to talk about the violence ideology that permeates society, do not want to talk about all of the things that are ultimately enslaving humanity in the modern world. There's one overarching reason and it is because their God is not truly the God of creation. What they ultimately bow down to and worship above all else is the one God that ultimately rules this world, and that is money. Money is these people's true God. They care more about their 501c3 tax-exempt status in this country than they do about the truth than they do about the will of the true God of creation. They don't serve that force at all. They serve the power of money coming into their coffers, into their pockets, into their collection baskets. That's what they ultimately worship. And I don't care what religion it is. I don't care if it's Christianity, Catholicism... Judaism, Hinduism, Islam doesn't make a difference. It's all the same thing. Money drives all religious institutions. You know, and are they putting that money to use in the service of truth and freedom by telling people what's really going on and what has really been going on? No, not a bit. Because what would happen if they started to do that is they would have their 50 their treasured 501c3 status revoked from them. And then they'd be hit with the same violence and confiscation that the rest of people are hit with by taking in any money in the entire monetary system, taxation in other words. And they don't want that. No, because, you know, their 501c3 status is prized and treasured to them in these organizations. You know, I have a challenge to throw out there on the air. Anybody who's a priest, an imam, a rabbi, okay, call into this show, and I want to know. You you specifically tell me what you're doing to talk about the police state that we have in America or anywhere else throughout the world for that matter because we're living in a worldwide police state whether anybody will admit that or not that's the truth what are you doing to expose the control system you know how are you speaking out to your so called congregation because in many cases you know what it is it's a big goose egg what these people are doing to expose the control system because they're cowards utter absolute cowards no because they're already essentially receiving favors from big daddy from government they don't want those favors revoked the modern day gods would revoke that favor you know then they wouldn't have more of the object of their worship than they do now you know their real object of worship is that dollar bill bet on it bank on it know it these aren't holy men these aren't men of God quite the opposite they're serving the control system they're serving the system that was set up by the beings that enslaved us that created our enslavement and by in doing so they're perpetuating our enslavement that's all they're doing and in many cases, they don't even understand how they are completely mimicking the, the very gods that, you know, created these institutions, the so-called quote-unquote gods that created these very religious institutions. So, you know, I really don't have any respect for any of these religious institutions or their so-called leadership. They're not holy men. They're not men of God whatsoever. They're not really teaching anybody about real spirituality or real freedom. They're locking them into a belief-based system of control, which is slavery, which is anti-spirituality, which is anti the will of God, of the true God of creation. They're actually serving the, the will of the entropic force within creation the satanic force within creation, thinking that they're doing something that's holy, holding back human evolutionary progress. You want to serve the true will of creation? You want to serve the, the uh, syntropic force that orders and progresses things in consciousness? Then you have to expose darkness. And how many religious leaders actually do that no, they read from their little scriptures and collect money in their collection baskets and that's the end of it. 99% of them. I'm not, it's not a blanket statement. I'm not saying there aren't some good men and women in these institutions who really understand what's going on and still have their religious you know, belief-based superstitions I could even excuse their religious superstitions if they at least speak out against the control system, speak out against government, speak out against violence ideology in our society. You know, then at least I could have a modicum of respect for them. But the amount that do that are a paltry number. It's seemingly insignificant compared to the, the throngs of how many people are involved in these organizations. So let's, I think I've said all I really want to say there. And if anybody wants to call in and, you know, essentially say how they're doing that, I'll let you even, you know, advertise whatever you do on, on the air and, you know, give your website or whatever. But I mean, the whole point here is, are, what are you really doing? You know, how many people are really talking out in a bold way with their name attached to it, not some anonymous web blog or something like that. You know, I'm talking about putting yourself out there. And, you know, that, that goes for just about anybody. It doesn't have to just go for the religious people out there, the religious leadership. You know, how many of us are doing that, whether we're involved in a religious institution or not? You, know, you have all these keyboard commandos out there that want to make a million comments on a YouTube video, but God forbid, should they actually write an article with their name attached to it or make a YouTube video with their own face on it and their own voice on it? You know, can't have that. No. They want to stay anonymous, you know, hide them behind the keyboard. Keyboard warriors, you know, they, they won't interact with somebody face to face, let alone their, they probably wouldn't interact with their own family members face to face or friends, or co-workers, you know? But they'll get on those YouTube videos and hammer away at the keyboard relentlessly all day and night trying to make absurd points that have nothing to do even with often the video presented. That's why I tell anybody that puts videos out there, when you put videos out on YouTube, disable the comments. I know that's highly unpopular. Oh my God, Mark, how could you say, is that censorship? You're advocating censorship? No, what I advocate by disabling YouTube comments is you want to actually put a video out there. That's why the reason I disable all my YouTube comments on any of my videos is because I don't want idiots writing crap that detracts from the message of the video. I'm not interested in what they have to say because half of the time they're morons, quite frankly. They're just absolute mental morons that have no idea what they're talking about. They want to spout something and just have somebody pay attention to them. And if they think they have something valuable to say, make your own video by all means. Write a book by all means. Put up a website. Do what other people have done who have something to say. You know, my video on YouTube is not your forum for spouting your nonsense. You want that? Go get your own page to do that. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. Folks, stay with us. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Let's fly through the tide penetrate the
1: You know today destroys the night Night divides a day, try to run, try to hide, break on to the other side, break on to the other side, break on to
2: the other side, yeah. And we're back. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We are going through the extended version of the Cosmic Abandonment presentation, that I originally gave back in December of 2013. We've been doing this for the last several weeks and probably will for the next several. Uh, I'm unpacking the connections between the interference theory of human origins and the current human condition. And we were talking about religion and how all the cultural religions got started, uh, how they continue in the modern day as a system of control and superstition and ultimately how they essentially breed compliance with the violence ideology that rules the world and encourage people really not to take action and speak out against it because so few people who are even religionists in general do, let alone their leadership, the priests and other so-called religious leaders in any given community. Um, Which is why I said I really don't have respect for the institution as a whole. I think it is holding humanity back. I don't think it holds back chaos at all. I think it has been largely responsible for the creation of the chaos that humanity is living within. And um, I think most of these people are just plain cowards if I just come right out and say say it openly and plainly and how I really feel about it. These are just cowardly people who are right-brained and balanced and won't take any real-world action to speak the truth to power in this world, period. So, moving to slide number 99, I mean, even just a fundamental cursory look at the symbols and trappings associated with most modern religions will show you how far back these belief systems go f- much much farther back than even their so-called sacred texts existed for. You know, because they come out of older traditions and they are an extension of the priest class that was created by these non-human entities in the ancient world. So, you know, we are just looking here at the the pope's mitre, the headdress worn by a pope or often by, you know, cardinals. And you can see it is almost identical to the headdresses worn by the ancient Babylonian priest kings and and Akkadian priest kings you know these beings were being revered and venerated by the priest class of their day and that's why they essentially tried to depict themselves like one of these beings with the elongated skull like we talked about a few weeks back the the scales, you know, the uh, holding often the the pine cone as you could see on the priest's uh, cross scepter there on the right, the pope's cross uh, scepter with the pine cone as similar to the other depictions of some of these ancient Anunnaki beings that we saw in past weeks in this very slideshow, you know, and I joked around in the original giving of this presentation if people can't see the connections i I feel sorry for them i don't know what to tell them you know if you can't see that the modern priest class comes out of these ancient systems of belief you know and is just a continuation of the same ancient religion directed by these non-human entities these so-called gods i feel sorry that you can't see that connection because it's so abundant and apparent you know, even in the belief systems that they practice, not just in the trappings and the symbolism. So, the ancient priest classes that interfaced with humanity, they were essentially doing the God's bidding. And as such, they had interface with these quote-unquote gods. And in that interface... Knowledge was often shared, actual real world knowledge about how things really worked, what was really going on, what the gods were actually doing. Okay, because they had to share a modicum of knowledge with these people in order to have them be able to maintain the control over the masses. So, in the acquisition of that knowledge, these people began to have a real actual level of power amongst the rest of humanity it wasn't just because the gods rule you know ruled over everybody and they favored this priest class in that accumulation of knowledge which they realized made them gave them a tactical advantage over other people and made them special you know because they had this understanding and the bulk of the masses of people did not understand any part of it they could often manipulate people they could often get what they want out of wanted out of other people even without the assistance of the quote gods and so the this priest class started hoarding a lot of this knowledge sequestering it away from the other people you know and using certain enforcers within that class to basically hold that knowledge back from others as well under the threat of violence should the other people try to engage in it or you know essentially spread it in a egalitarian fashion throughout their culture that was forbidden by this priest class and over thousands of years these became essentially these priest class priest classes extended outward and through this body of knowledge that they contained this high level knowledge that was given to them in many cases directly by these so-called gods this, these advanced, technologically advanced species that came here in the ancient past. Um, they uh, created extended societies of people with large amounts of knowledge about how universal laws actually did work. Laws of science, laws of nature, okay, even spiritual laws in some cases. And they formed tightly knit, interwoven societies of people that were essentially sworn to preserve and keep this knowledge. But most of all, they were sworn to keep the knowledge within the small community that had already acquired it and was sequestering it from the other people. And they did this for different reasons. Different groups among them did this for different reasons. Some of them essentially said, well, we're the caretakers of this knowledge, and since we've already been entrusted with it, we know so much more than other people, we have to be the ones to preserve and protect it, because these other people are ignorant, and they don't know how to do that. You know, they might squander this knowledge, they might destroy it, they might lose it somehow. So, since we're already in a better position than them, because of our interface with the so-called gods, we have to be the ones who form these societies to protect and sequester this knowledge. Some of them rationaled it, you know, they rationalized it and said, well, if it were shared in an egalitarian fashion and everybody had access to this knowledge, maybe some people would use it for evil purposes, not like us. We're using it to serve the will of our gods. We're using it to serve, you know, the will of the, of all the people to protect them from the God's wrath, you know, so if we give it to them. They might squander it. They might not understand it. They might lose it. Or they might use it for evil purposes. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the origins of the secret societies and the mystery school traditions. All of these different rationalizations for keeping knowledge of truth from the bulk of the people of humanity. From everyone, essentially. who It is their birthright to know these things. And everybody, you also get people who will debate that. Oh, secrecy is necessary. Secrecy is required. The ignorant masses, what would they do if they knew this or that or that? Maybe they would not be ignorant anymore, you know? And then, you know, it just shows you their worldview. It shows you how dark of a worldview it comes for, for, uh, you know, these people who think that all this knowledge still has to remain sequestered and it, you, you know you're doing a disservice or you're somehow throwing pearls before swine by telling people the truth. You know it shows how little faith people have in humanity's ability to transcend this condition. And like I said, I'm not telling you we definitely are going to transcend this condition so I'm not you know saying have tremendous amounts of hope. What I'm saying is it can be done. The question is will it be done? Not without putting the info out there. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. I was talking about the origins of secret societies, fraternal orders, and mystery tradition schools. How they came about as an extension of the original religious um, institutions, the priest classes of the ancient world that were put in place by these entities that came here in our ancient past. And essentially set up intermediaries between themselves and the hordes of the human masses that they were attempting uh, in the way that they felt best or most effective to control. It's always been about control. That's what religion is a huge part of. It's a huge part of the control system. I look at it as one of the three arms of the unholy trinity religion, government, and money. Not in that particular order. Um, and, you know, this also helps us to understand the context, um, which may not make as much sense if not understanding the, the actual origins of this, as I've just laid it out, of how these societies came to be. You know, how did they acquire? hidden knowledge how did they acquire forbidden knowledge who forbade it to begin with what was these beings that forbade it they didn't want people to understand how they were being controlled they didn't want people to understand real science they wanted them to have superstition they wanted them to just follow orders to go along to get along to say this being is somehow closer to the gods than us so we better follow what he's telling us to do And of course, those orders came down directly from the Anunnaki gods. Made it so much easier for them. And we still can't see how that's done today. You know, we still want to say, oh no, yeah, but my religion is the right one. See, oh yeah, okay, I could get behind, oh, maybe that happened with all the others, but oh no, 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 my religion, because I believe in it, it can't be like that. It was different than all that. That's the one that just somehow is magically exempt from all the others. No, all the others, yeah, they're, they're all corrupted and perverse. But the one I believe in, that one's the right one. That one's okay. And everybody who has a religion thinks that way. They think the same thing about all the other religions. Not one of them talking about natural law. Not one of them really truly talking about the difference between right and wrong. No, they're 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 worried about things like homosexual marriage or something like that, you know. They want to make that a huge issue, you know. They're 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 gonna they're gonna basically make that the be all and end all of their belief system, you know. People's bedroom preferences, you know, as if as if that's the, that's and then then they'll then they'll just fully get behind a taxation system, you know. So, that that should be in place, but we shouldn't have homosexual marriage. Yeah, because that's harming so many people, whereas taxation, oh, that's not violence. That's not actually doing harm to other people. That's not the confiscation of labor, which is slavery. You know? Who's the homosexual couple enslaving? You know? I mean, I... It, you could say that about any particular thing you you find somehow repugnant or you don't actually, you know, find somehow attractive or want to go, you know, to partake in. Well, then don't partake in it. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, uh, you, you find uh, s- snorting cocaine repugnant. Don't do it. You know, you don't, you don't like smoking marijuana. You don't, uh, you know, cannabis. Don't do it. You don't like shooting heroin into your veins. Don't do it. You know, that shouldn't interfere with somebody else's free will decision as long as they're not harming somebody else. But, you know, this is what religious thinking does to people. Takes them off of the real issue of violence in our society. And how it's reinforced by people who the violence is actually done to. The the ideological support for violence is what's upholding this whole control system. How many religious institutional leaders will ever even talk about that? So these these ancient mystery schools and secret societies, they, they came down through countless generations, thousands of years after their introduction and, and makeup in the ancient world, through these priest classes, hoarding all of this knowledge that had been given to them. And then eventually these gods departed, or I should say largely departed. You know, that is a small criticism that I'll take to heart of my original presentation. I kind of didn't really have time to unpack. It's not my thought that they completely departed and they're 100% gone. You know, a lot of people, you know, made comments about that and I agree. Um, I, I should have said they largely left us. I'm not even going to tell you, I think that we have absolutely no interaction with these beings even today because more likely than not we do. I'm not saying I know that for a fact or can prove it, but it is highly likely that a contingent of them is monitoring at least what's happening here, or if not actively, directly involved in what's happening here. So, um, let's just say their physical, observable presence was removed, okay? And, um, you know, in the shadows, these beings may even still remain, and these High highest levels of these priest classes and secret societies and mystery traditions are still interacting with them. That could very well be possible. So, you know, th- what I'm ultimately trying to get at here is the origins of the occult, both light and dark. Because again, some factions of these beings did want to eventually bring humanity up in knowledge. And this is where we get into what I call the the Enlil and Enki factions of these beings, okay, for lack of a better term, again, it's just a label, you could call it the absolute control, iron fist, ruthless rulership uh, faction, and then you could say the covert control, gentler form of control, if there is such a thing, um, with a uh, underneath somewhere desire to uplift humanity so eventually they could strike out on their own faction of these beings, okay? With the former being the Enlil faction and the latter being the Enki faction. And, you know, again, I've gotten into, in past weeks, people who think that, oh, somehow that makes the former, the Enlil faction who wanted ruthless control just to do what they wanted to do and then get out of here uh, the The ultimate bad guys, and it made the Enki faction who wanted more covert control and wanted somewhere deep down inside to uplift humanity and give them some knowledge so that at some point in the future they could strike out on their own as a free species that made them somehow the wonderful beneficent gods you know the benevolent gods that we should somehow bow down and thank so much for what they 've done when he was the one who originally came up with the idea to create a slave species to begin with. Okay, there's, you know, the, the morality of these beings cannot really be called into question. They were immoral creatures, period. All right, they, they did the wrong things. They did things that they had no right to do. But then, somewhere thousands of years later, maybe they began at some point. Some of them—I'm qualifying this, okay. Some of them saw the wrongfulness of their deeds and had some level of a desire to begin to uplift humanity. As I said in a couple weeks ago, when we were talking about the flood destruction, the cataclysmic flood stories, even the Enlil. Faction, if you will, or Enlil himself, had some level of pity on humanity when he witnessed the destruction of the cataclysmic deluge. We'll pick this up on the other side. Stay with us, everyone. listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I'm your host Mark Passio. We were talking about the origin of the mystery tradition schools, the secret societies and fraternal orders of the world, how they were an extension of the ancient priest class that ultimately came from these non-human extraterrestrial beings that created the human species in the distant past. And I wanted to make the point here in this section that it does not necessarily mean that all of these groups are evil or bad uh, again different people had different rationales for holding knowledge in their possession and away from others again some did it yes to control and to keep people ignorant so that they could gain a tactical advantage over them and that's what i would call the dark occult uh keeping things hidden for the wrong reasons and then there You know, is a valid and legitimate um, reason for occulting knowledge at certain times, during such extremely draconian times, such that the exposure of certain knowledge would have literally not only gotten you killed, gotten your... uh, Group of people who were trying to preserve the knowledge killed, but actually had their knowledge eradicated. That that's how ignorant the human species had become at certain times, and draconian and ensconced in superstitious belief systems that they had become. Um, at at that point, you know that knowledge did have to be sequestered and taken in deep underground hiding, uh, in order to preserve it. And I would say that's probably the only legitimate use for the occultation of knowledge, the only legitimate reason for the occultation of knowledge. That is not the case at the current time. We're not living in such a draconian time that, you know, you cannot come forward and expose this knowledge because it already has been exposed. It's all out there. You know, all you're doing is, is now spreading it around in a more egalitarian fashion, in a more distributed fashion, you know. Um, the, the ancients would have looked at us and say, wow, all this is already out there. You guys got it easy. All you have to do is tell it to enough people and keep telling it to enough people until they begin to look into it for themselves and recognize it's true. That this is what the world is and it does need to change and they do need to look within and they do need to know the self and they do need to understand how these hidden sciences work. You know, so... The image that I've depicted here on image one hundred, this little collage of uh, secret societies and mystery traditions, etc. You know, it's what I would maybe you know loosely term the lighter aspect of the occult, if you will. And people have a hard time with that because you know Freemasonry and you know the Order of the Golden Dawn and Rosicrucianism and you know m- uh, you know in general uh, secret societies. You're going to say, oh, somehow there's a, some good to that the original intent, yes. You know, what they descended into and became in the modern world, no. Again, there's a whole huge difference between the original intent of particular societies and orders and lines of thought in the mystery traditions uh, compared to what these philosophies came down to us in the modern world as, as cultural institutions, as institutions of control. So would I tell you that a lot of the modern lodge systems and of secret societies and fraternal orders are really good and then rush out and join them and you're gonna become enlightened? No. Again, it's a it's a very It's a much more multi-dimensional and mature approach to this topic than you'll hear most researchers espouse. You have to go back to my podcasts on particularly Freemasonry and Kabbalah to understand what I'm talking about, how there are different sides and aspects to it. As with all of these ancient traditions, there's a light side and a dark side, and what it largely depends upon is how the knowledge is being used. Is it being used to uplift or is it being used to just keep it sequestered and keep it hoarded amongst a particular uh, group, a priest class that sees themselves as the elites and everybody else as the profane in order to exploit a knowledge differential and then therefore convert that to a power differential and control other people. That is what I would call what I depict in image number 101, the dark aspect of the occult. All of the dark orders, the dark secret societies, the satanic and dark luciferian institutions and traditions okay Um, that stems from that ideology that we're gonna we have this knowledge we have this information that other people don't have don't know don't understand okay therefore they don't understand how all these different aspects of reality work we do and instead of trying to spread that and enlighten them to level the playing field, so to speak, so that you bring everyone up in consciousness and therefore understand natural law, live in harmony with it, and become more free. No, we don't want, we don't want to do that because that upsets our power differential, uh, our tactical advantage over others, and we want to be on top because we're in such ego you know, we have to rule over other people. So we're going to take this knowledge and we're going to use it in the sense of what is known as the left-hand path. Using knowledge to control other people. Okay? Using it as a power differential. Okay? That's what they say. When when they say knowledge is power, it's not really just that simple. Applied knowledge gets converted into power over other people if they lack it and, and a certain group of people possess it. All right, so it's about how you use it, how you apply it in the world. Just the knowledge by itself is neutral. It could be used for either purpose. And this is one of the things I'm going to go into in depth in explaining in my um, Demystifying the Occult presentation. Because people have to get over the idea that the occult is one thing. That it is just the negative or the bad side of all of these um, you know, groups and, and societies. There, there is a positive application is it being used that way largely no i'd have to admit largely it's being used for the negative purpose but it doesn't have to be that way this is just knowledge of self and the universe that's all it is that's all the occult really comes down to when you understand it it's knowledge of what goes on in the human psyche in the the spiritual domain and the um you know with the realms within the self all the different aspects and components of the self and then it's knowledge of how The laws of nature operate not only the physical ones but the spiritual ones once you understand those things and you have a general understanding of how things work then you could align your behavior to the laws of the cosmos and therefore you won't generate self-inflicted suffering that's what living that's what it means to live in harmony with natural law and you know Essentially, both of these groups understand how this works, the light and the dark, and the light is trying to, over time, get other people to understand that by spreading that information to the extent that they can and the extent that it will be received, depending on the mindset of the people who they're trying to give it to. You know, and Again, in many cases, people want to slap this knowledge out of your hand when you try to give it to them as a gift. And that that will be done with this presentation. That will be done with all of my other work as well. I fully recognize where humanity's mindset is at. Humanity doesn't want to know the truth. They love their enslavement right now. Love it. Because an ignorant child who has never actually had to do for him, him or herself wants to remain in that condition. And that's what humanity is, an ignorant child that's never actually had to truly take care of itself to truly provide for itself, to truly be free and understand all the responsibilities that go along with true freedom. No, they want a crutch. They want a god to depend upon. They want somebody else who they feel is looking out for their interests to set all the boundaries and the rules so to speak, not to learn the the true rules of the universe, not to learn natural law for themselves because that in inqu- that requires seeking That requires learning, that requires time, that requires admitting you were wrong, that requires understanding there's higher powers, in effect, than your little minuscule ego. No, 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 we can't have any of that. You know, we need to say, these people are in charge, they're the authorities, they know better than everyone else, and everybody else listen to them and follow their orders, and somehow everything will magically be all right, even though we're still a bunch of ignorant children. Good, yeah, good luck with that. That's that's a great plan. It's been working out good so far, hasn't it? Yeah, it's 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 so great. You know, so what happens when you take that approach, that attitude of fear and superstition, and refusing to understand truth? You get ruled by the dark occult. You know, as depicted on image number one hundred and one. You know, that's how the world becomes a prison, a big farm. You know, and and like I said, it may have started out that way because of these beings with their advanced knowledge and technology, but it doesn't have to remain that way. This is what I was talking about at the end of the last segment. This is a matter of will. It's a matter of free will choice whether it will continue or we will change it. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to what on earth is happening. We'll be right back. you're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Uh, this is going to be the last segment that I'll be uh, presenting for this show, and then in the next hour, I'll be taking your calls for the duration of the third hour, as long as we have enough callers to fill that time. In the event we don't have enough callers to do that, uh, we probably will, but just if we don't, I'll, I'll go back to the presentation to, to fill the time. But uh, Let me give the call-in number real quick here uh, for the next hour of the show. The call-in number to join us is 800-313-9443. Once again, the call-in number to join us in the next hour, 800-313-9443, and that is a toll-free number. So we were talking about the differences between the light and dark aspects of the occult. Uh, The occult, of course, simply meaning hidden knowledge, knowledge that has been hidden from people's understanding and view. Uh, largely to keep them controlled. And I, I would you know say essentially all occultism, if you want to look at it that way, hiding knowledge is not a good thing. Uh, light occultists tend to be de occultists. They are they do have the possession of that. They are in possession of that uh, previously hidden knowledge, but they want to share it with others. They want to de-occult it and make it not hidden anymore so that it is understood, and therefore people are bettered by taking that knowledge in, and therefore they can uh, align their actions into harmony with universal laws. So let's move on to slide 102 and start to breach a topic which I'll probably continue in Uh, the next week, um, that is one of the largest and most important aspects of this whole story of our ancient past and how it has shaped the modern psychology of human beings. And that is, of course, the control system God known as money. If anything, there is there, you know, these beings that you know the Sumerians referred to as the Anunnaki. They warred amongst each other at some point. You know, they were trying to establish the one God above all, as they called it. And, you know, they constantly battled each other. There was depictions in many of the ancient texts about the wars between the gods and the sky great detailed depictions of their technology and how they went to war with each other and, you know, just events that shook the earth and left human beings trembling. It was all jockeying for power on this planet. You know, like I said, they tried to establish, you know, amongst themselves as the gods of humanity, they were trying to establish one God above all the others that the people would unite the people and they would all believe in. Particularly the god Marduk was um, very dedicated to this endeavor. Wanted to establish himself as this one God. But I'll tell you, you know, they really never really did that uh, amongst themselves. There was no one of them that actually became worshipped as the one God above all else. But I'll tell you what, they did create that God. They created the one God that would be worshiped among all other gods, over all other gods on this planet, regardless of whether it was the so called Anunnaki, quote unquote, gods, or whether it was, you know, um, some cultural, religious God, some supernatural entity that people believed in as a God doesn't make a difference what god we're talking about here there is one god that has emerged on this planet as the god above all others and that is money you know the very symbol of god in the ancient world that comes down into the modern uh mystery traditions and the modern secret society traditions is the all-seeing eye the one eye representing the spiritual eye the underlying spiritual intelligence that watches over everything that underlies everything you know and also represents the balance between the two eyes you know which is why the one eye is depicted in the center of the forehead the all-seeing eye you know the the uh spiritual vision within humankind the spark of the divine within mankind you know this symbol symbolically we talked about it you know many, many, many weeks back, years ago now. And I went into it in great detail, explored that on past podcasts on symbolism. And, you know, the very name in English, money, is taken from a combination, a green language combination, phonetically, of the prefix mono, which means one, and the English word I. So when we put the word money together, when it was actually created and put together... It was a deliberate effort to make the word money be a symbolic representation of God. One eye, mon eye, money. And people say this word billions of times a day on this planet and still never actually recognize that what they're saying when they're using the word money is one eye because it has become the symbol of God. That's why they put it on the $1 bill the symbol of the one eye, the symbol of the world in transition that we saw a couple of slides back. Again, if you're not familiar with that symbolism and you haven't heard my particular breakdown of it, I highly recommend that you go back. I think it was somewhere back in the 50s or 60s maybe that I broke down that symbol as maybe the 60s. Uh, of the podcast I'm not really sure I don't have that list in front of me but uh, I'd highly recommend people to go back and listen to those uh, podcasts on symbolism again particularly the all-seeing-eye symbolism and my breakdown of it because it really reveals a lot and will get you to understand how they use symbolism as talismanic magic you know in conjunction with talismanic magic really that's what money always is and has been it's a talisman of power okay because when it was even carried and you know used and revered in the form of gold by the ancient people they knew that that's what the gods found valuable so it be, it was a symbol of these gods these anunnaki gods you know they ascribed inherent intrinsic value to gold for some reason that we still are not fully privy, privy to that we still do not fully understand What did they come here and want this resource for? Of course, modern forms of money became representations of the holding of gold. But like I said before, and I will attempt to establish now, actually, is there is no real intrinsic value in gold. Anybody that thinks that there is, is under mind control. You've just heard that and repeated it. You cannot actually establish the intrinsic value of gold. No one can do it cannot be done because there isn't any because what you've not really explored is a definition a definition of intrinsic means having value in nature and that means if there is no society what can you actually do with it again intrinsic means based in nature not in belief it's like the word natural you could replace the word intrinsic value with natural value If we looked at the word like that, if we looked at this phrase intrinsic value, instead of saying intrinsic value, looking at it as natural value, value in nature, then people would be very hard-pressed to explain the value in nature of gold, okay? And again, the caveat for that is, except in a technological civilization in which it's used for computing applications, okay, and actually making computer components, then there is some intrinsic or natural value to it what natural value means or intrinsic value actually means is, can you do certain things with it? And the things are as follows. Can you eat it? Can you shelter yourself with it? Or can you use it as a means of self-defense if you are under attack? Those are the three things that actually bring actual intrinsic value. And you could say clothe yourself with it, which is another method of protection from the elements. So let's group those together and say, can you nourish yourself with it in some way? Can you protect yourself from the elements with it in some way? And can you defend yourself from hostile entities with it in some way? That's what makes something intrinsically valuable or naturally valuable. Nothing else. Therefore, when we understand that in that context, that definition, there is no intrinsic value for gold. Your calls on the other side of this break. Stay with us. back everyone you're listening to what on earth is happening here on the republic broadcasting network i'm your host mark passio my website what on earth is com. we're into the third and final hour of tonight's broadcast and as promised i'll be taking your calls for the duration of this hour so let's go right to the phones let's hear from alan in georgia alan you are live on what on earth is happening welcome
3: hey mark um Uh, it's it's great to talk to you I appreciate everything that you've done you've woken me up to so many things I can't even uh, express how much I am uh, grateful to your to your great work
2: I appreciate that thank you
3: and uh, I just I want to tell you I kind of felt it was personal whenever I uh, I heard you you said that you deleted certain emails because I was feeling like hey maybe he's deleting my email (laughs)
2: No, I I didn't say I was deleting them. I said I really would wish people would stop sending me emails defending the role of religion in the world. I don't really care if people have their own religious belief systems or faiths, but... I just would like, kind of like people, to stop trying to to get me to see religion as some kind of a good thing in the world. You know, I, I've long since abandoned that position because I've okay. have the knowledge of what it has already done. It's it's a it's part of the historical record. Um, I feel that it's something that needs to be eradicated from the world. We need to believe in nothing. We need to know truth. That is my position, that has been my position, that will be my position. Belief is never, the. I've told people from day one, the only piece of belief that is required to free humanity is the belief that the truth does indeed exist. And that's it. Once you have that belief, you could then go on in search of the truth. You could set out on the path to the truth. And then that belief is no longer required because you will then seek truth and find it and then understand and have knowledge. And then that original belief, you could abandon it. You only had to have it at one point to at the time that you are ignorant. You have to say, you know, I believe truth is out there and it can be known. And if I just go off in search of it and find it, then that's not a belief anymore, then you know that it exists. I've said that that's the only piece of faith that's ever required in this entire journey. And then at a point later in the journey, even that piece of faith can be abandoned. So I'm not a fan of faith. And basically, the people of that think faith is a great thing, that think belief is a great thing, I think it is the most destructive thing that has ever happened to humanity. And it's the very thing that is keeping humanity's consciousness destroyed. So... People who are trying to convince me to see faith otherwise, good luck. It's it's a lost cause. It's a wasted, it's just wasted energy sitting at the keyboard even trying to send something like that to me because as soon as I understand that that's your intent, I'm probably going to move on to another email is all I'm saying.
3: Right, right. Well, that wasn't me. Now that you, now that you say that, I, I have a feeling you might not have even got to mine. I just had a couple of statements and a question um, regarding the truth and, you know, I, I've heard you talk about juicing quite a bit, and I end up looking it up, and yes. you might have, you know who I am, I, I mean, I guess through one of the emails. I sent you uh, the tangy tangerine, but I did a, a comparison. Oh, yes,
2: I, I, that's really great stuff. I, I, I've i really been enjoying it, so thanks so much. That was you, That's that's awesome. Yeah, really, thank well, you.
3: Great, great. I, yeah, I just, you know, because I, I knew you were on a quest to find the truth yourself in regards to the Lada, you know, the, uh, the diabetes, you know, whatever they want to call it, yes, yes. diabetes, like you say, it's all lack of nutrition, basically, right. and yep. uh, and I, I came to the conclusion that the juicing really wasn't that great of a deal, and that, you know, I was like, I hope Mark, you know, comes out and says, you know, wow, you know, maybe I was wrong about this, and, uh, you know, because I mean, if you look up how much money it's going to cost to get all of the fruits and vegetables, and then you end up taking the dietary fiber away with this machine, which, you know, God didn't create a machine for us to be juicing, you know what I mean, it's just... well.
2: It, it, you're not fully taking out dietary fiber from your diet. You're just using the juicer to basically get an infusion of the micronutrients at a higher level than you would be able to by eating it. It's not saying just stay with a liquid diet and don't put any fiber in the body, you know. So. But- Okay. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing that kind of an extreme. Only when I do a juice fast do I stay with just juice and no solid food. But that's only for short time duration. That is not, okay. of course, how I eat on a regular basis. That would be pretty extreme.
3: Okay. Great. Great. Yeah. I was just getting concerned. That, that's all it was. So I'm so glad to hear that. That, right. that you um, come to that.
2: It's, fu- have- it's funny that you would even mention juice because right during this, this last break, I went upstairs and poured myself a nice big glass of a uh, carrot cantaloupe combination. I've mentioned that before on the air. It's become one of my favorites. I think people should definitely try it and uh, they wouldn't even be able to believe what they've been missing out on and you would not find anything like that combo in a store. Uh, and it's got a lot of great nutrients in it. Uh, uh, and and it's great tasting as well so uh it's funny that you would even mention juicing and i you know uh, happened to go up and get a big glass of juice during the break
3: well that's great i hope that your health is doing much better um okay so a couple more things um i you know i feel like for sure for certain you weren't talking about myself i was i had a question about the four horsemen of the apocalypse i know That, you know, this is religion, maybe. I mean, it could be a construct Mm -hmm. for the global elite to put us in a mind frame that we need to follow this to to expect this. And so when it starts taking place, to not do anything about it, you know, to just remain enslaved. When you see, like, Barack Obama portraying himself to be the Antichrist, whether you're a Muslim, because I've been doing research on that, they're saying that he's the Mahdi. In the Mahdi, he's, you know, what, uh, he's basically the Antichrist in the Muslim religion, and he's following the, the Antichrist you know, uh, um, portrayal in the Christian religion. And so with these four horsemen, a question about, you know, it seems like the white horse is like the white man conquering everything. We know that's a fact. That is, not a, that is not me trying to be racist. That is a fact. Okay, then you got the next horse, the red horse, you know, taking peace from the earth. And that's like, to me, that, that brings up communism. You, know, you see red flag here, there. They got nukes. They threaten us all the time. You know, North Korea, they're taking peace from the earth. And then I've got, you've got the black horse, which I, I can construe as uh, the black man who's been given the scales of justice, because that's the way it puts it. The black man has been given the scales of justice, Barack Obama, black judges, black cops everywhere, when that never existed before. That is a fact. I'm not racist. And then you got the pale horse, and then Lady Gaga riding out in the Music Awards on a pale horse, and she's, you know, Illuminati, you know, trying to be it anyway, a puppet. I mean, is she really Illuminati? I mean, she's just a puppet. You know, we know that. But, you know, it's just all of that makes sense to me that they're either scripting this or it is reality. It is a prophecy,
2: but either way, it is. Well, I would definitely see them as highly symbolic of humankind's mindset, their psychological um condition that they exist in. You know, if you look at the four riders of Apocalypse, the Horsemen of Apocalypse, in the context of the symbolism that they represent, you have you know uh, um, uh, conquest or dominion, you know, that's trying to control other people, you know, war. Which is the the result of attempting to control other people, taking war to the four corners of the earth, you know, de- destroying the actual physical earth that we're dependent to live upon, to to actually carry us as a species, you know. So that would be the famine, or, or uh, I'm sorry, the pestilence aspect of it, you know, the uh, the famine and pestilence aspect. That's one of the other riders, and then death, which is the outcome. You know, if we maintain this idea of control and dominion over the people and the planet. You know, if we, it, it's, it's all basically f- things that come together to symbolize an, an entire psychological mindset of dominance and control and violence-based ideology. That's how I see this symbolism from the, uh, uh, you know, book of, uh, apocalypse or revelation. It's, um, it's, um, uh, definitely allegorical in its content, and uh, I think it says a lot about, you know, how the writer perceived the current human condition and current psychological state of humanity, and depicted that symbolically. So that's my take on it, anyway. I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah, yeah Alan, but- I want to thank you so much for the call. Really great insights. So we'll we'll pick this up on the other side of the break, folks. Stay with us. Okay, folks, it looks like I'm back up. My internet connection just uh, completely went out on me, and uh, I had to uh, power cycle my router and now it seems like it's back up. So I apologize for that uh, brief uh, interrupt. Um, we were taking your calls, and uh, uh, let's go back to the phone lines. And hopefully, uh, this will not happen again during the remainder of the hour. Let's hear from David in San Francisco. David, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome to the show.
5: Thanks so much, Mark. It's great to be talking to you. Um, yeah, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for your devotion to the one religion that uh, I guess myself and your listeners can agree on, which is the truth and uh, for nourishing my brain's heart and courage on my journey uh, towards the same. So I just want to thank you first off so much for that.
2: Thank you for the kind words.
5: Yeah, and also I want to thank you for um, introducing me to The Kybalian and The End of All Evil. Those two books have been rocking my world, um, probably in a similar way as they've uh, shifted things for you. And yeah, and so um, one of the things I wanted to discuss is that I live... Right here in kind of the mecca for the new age movement, uh, the the San Francisco Bay Area and the West Coast of the United States in general. Oh. And one of the other pieces that is really big out here is feminism. And you know, I, I would I would be the first to acknowledge that there are good things in both of those movements, but that they're also, I think, greatly shaped by these elite uh, psychopaths that you're discussing. And I, you know, absolutely. And, you know, Aaron Russo spoke about that specifically uh, when he was introduced to one. I believe it was Nathaniel Rothschild. And he, you know, he revealed to Aaron Russo, who you mentioned earlier, um, that they were, you know, basically behind the feminist movement. And so that's a really interesting thing for people to look into and to consider. And I'm, you know, of course, pro everyone, you know, being given equal rights. Um, not given equal rights, as you would point out. Everyone has the same rights. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's just an interesting thing to consider. And, you know, there are a lot of people who I'm friends with who, you know, they don't pursue the truth fully unless it's, um, you know, in alignment with their beliefs, many of which are highly influenced by the New Age. Yes. And um, one of my big pieces is to help articulate the most positive vision of the future in my journey with all of this, I've seen that there's this gigantic lack of people actually taking visionary responsibility for the positive future. So you'll see more people doing that inside the free energy movement, perhaps. You know, they kind of act like everything's just going to be solved. Right. And, um,
2: it, it's and this it's like, notion right? that no real work is going to be required on humanity's part to change the way we think. See, they, right? they, they, they're okay with rearranging things in the material world, you know. But when it, when it comes to actually changing your belief system and stop believing in the things that, that are holding us back and actually changing the overall way that you think and then after doing that, changing your behavior, To no longer support the control system and to actually do things that lead to real freedom, that's where most people have a huge problem when it comes to the real way to create real change. And it's funny that you would mention the free energy movement because I just want to very briefly mention to people, since you brought that up, that um, I have written an article in the latest Tesla magazine. uh, And the article is called, Don't Put the Cart Before the Horse understanding the free in free energy in which I explain to people what's really going to be required to create a new and sustaining and lasting free energy based paradigm where it's going to take the abandonment of the world religions of control, authority, and money first in order to do that because that's, you know, that's basically the horse you know that's pulling the cart of the free energy paradigm into manifestation. People want to put it the other way around. They think that we'll create this free energy technology, and then suddenly it'll make a free world. It'll it'll make everybody free and understand freedom. It doesn't work like that. You have to change the mindset first, then the physical manifestation follows. That so, uh, it's a great Absolutely. point you uh, brought up there. Yes.
5: Yeah, and and just to illustrate your point, I mean. So many of the reasons a lot of these free energy inventions have failed is because people are trying to make a profit, get investors, they go to the patent office, you know, and then announce that they've invented this thing to the U.S. government, you know, and then the men in black or whatever you want to call the institutions involved in suppressing these technologies or, you know, get fully involved in suppressing it with whatever specific invention was filed for because everything's wrapped up in the money system. So, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're absolutely right on there. One of the things that I wanted to discuss is that, you know, I, I see these people around me, and I see a lot of them as being incredibly well-meaning and, in, in their own ways, courageous. Um, but, you know, to me, it's like the more I can show the different solutions to these problems, the more that I can illustrate and articulate the possible world that we could live in, sure. it seems that people become more receptive to really going into the rabbit holes of, you know, the problem that you've spent, you know, <laughs> in the last several years of your life sure. so beautifully articulating for all of us. I find
2: a good and, I find a really good uh, segue or intro into it is is health and like how there's yeah. cures out there for cancer of all kinds. That, that's correct. You know? yeah. And when people hear that then they're maybe willing to look at well why are these suppressed? Why aren't they out there? Great points. David, thank you for the call. We'll pick this up on the other side, folks. Stay with us.
1: You know, the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on through to the other side.
2: Welcome back everyone This is What on Earth is Happening Here on Republic Broadcasting I'm your host Mark Passio We're taking calls throughout the duration of the show Let's go back to the phones And hear from Raphael in Indiana Raphael, you're live on What on Earth is Happening Welcome
4: Hi Mark, Uh, thanks for taking my call Sure Um, I just want to say, uh, as the other callers have said uh, Thanks for everything you've been doing And continue to do
2: I appreciate that, uh, thank you
4: you know, just like you always mentioned, all your work is a tapestry of information, and uh, it's pretty much everything. It helps facilitate every individual that uh, does that journey. to so basically, it's a path of uh, self-realization of what they need to do in life. Sure. And uh, you know, I, th- I thank you for that. And uh, I recently, not too long ago, I came across, I I've, I've first came across the first time ever um, a lecture of Manley P. Hall.
2: Yes.
4: It was I think it was a search for. Essential meaning of life, and i was uh I was blown away, say the least
2: well, he's and, phenomenal uh, i mean, and uh you know he i feel started out on what you might call a gray uh path uh you know he wasn't in his early years, perhaps what you might call a light occultist or de occultist, but then you know during his um middle age period, I think he really came on to a deep understanding, and then from there. He definitely went forward into the light and then realized he had to take this knowledge to other people. And that's when he, you know, wrote his, I guess you could call it his magnum opus, uh, you know, uh, secret teachings of all ages. And then he went on the lecture circuit for many, many years and really lectured until almost until right up until he died. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, he was in his 90s on the lecture circuit. That's how dedicated this man was to spreading knowledge and information about the truth. So, uh, I definitely consider him a mentor and consider him a role model. Uh, his lectures are absolutely phenomenal, and the only thing sometimes you have to kind of get past is the, you know uh, he had a kind of a mono- monotonous voice in his older age. Uh, if you can get past that, the information is so brilliant it's, it'll just blow the top of your head off.
4: Well, and again, I, you know, I thank you for for everything you've done because without that, I would have never came across that, or right? let alone even think about listening to one of those uh, podcasts or sure. one of his lectures and I mean I've listened to a couple of them so far and they're, they're mind-blowing and awesome. the knowledge of the individual
2: you know? yeah, that's awesome that I could turn you on to something like that and hopefully other people will also follow suit and check some of that material out because uh, they'll definitely get a lot out of it that's for sure
4: and I just had one other comment Mark sure. um, last week uh, on your topic of cosmic abandonment um, we I, I went to go see uh, Transformers uh, newest one Yes theater and I don't know if you've seen that one yet
2: I have I really did not enjoy it as a movie I thought it was a very weak movie as far as the screenplay and the, the dialogue and things like that I mean the effects were great but there is this underlying theme if you could sit through the bad movie as far as I'm concerned anyway of uh, you know uh, these beings from, from elsewhere that basically uh, have you know a power play going on here on the earth so is that what you were going to allude to
4: yeah and just basically some of the dialogue that uh you know i thought that was pretty ironic the one i, I forgot which the villain he said we he basically said uh, i we have a, a saying and it's basically i don't care i thought that was pretty pretty wow. crazy yeah you know
2: yeah i mean no, there, there's definitely the allegorical stuff. content in in these hollywood films uh, with this one, I think it got kind of overshadowed, like I said, I think they could have done a lot better on the the screenplay i, I haven 't really enjoyed any of the Transformers movies to be honest, but there is this allegorical uh you know underlying content that if you can get past the uh the the, the cheesiness of the movie that it's it 's there and it is about interaction with non human entities coming to this planet. But um, I think they could have done a lot better with the, uh, the, the scripting in general of uh, the whole Transformers... Um you know, a paradigm when it comes to their, their, the movies. I, I preferred the cartoons, quite frankly. I used to watch them when I was young, and I thought they were really good allegories for what's going on. But uh, the movies could use some work as far as I'm concerned. But it, there was some interesting material in, in, the, in the recent one regarding, you know, the attitudes of some of these beings for sure. So thanks for bringing that uh, to the attention of the audience.
4: Yeah, I mean that's pretty much the gist of everything that you know. Just you know, now that after you know going through some of your presentations and your information, it's now it's like you know when I see movies, I have to see what the underlying meaning sure. and message are Sometimes well, you got to sit with some of the trash.
2: But the uh, Decepticons are the psychopaths of that whole world. You know, that's what they're basically trying to say. There, they don't have any care. They don't have any, uh, you know, empathy or compassion. That's that's you know what they're trying to explain that we're really up against.
4: Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much, Mark, for everything you do, and that's all I have.
2: Absolutely, Raphael. Good to hear from you. Let's hear from Thomas in Toronto. Thomas, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi there, Mark. Uh, great show as usual. Thank you. Uh, this week, I'm just going to have a short call. Sure. going to have a bit of green language about the word um, individual and how we call people individuals. Okay. So if you break down the word, you get in, divide, and dual. So, it's like to say all people are they're divided, they're dual. So, it kind of applies to Hegelian dialect. Uh, it applies to religion, uh, as in pitting them against one another. And um, most unfortunately, it applies to the two hemispheres of the brain, and how people are really divided. They don't have like an inner truth in them. So I guess my point is that calling someone an individual really means that they don't know or they're constantly divided on their motivations and things like that.
2: Yeah, that, that's definitely one way of breaking down individual in green language terms, one one perspective of seeing it. I'd just like to possibly present the alternative perspective when it comes to the word. If we take the first part in to mean not as it is in many uh, older languages, then we get the, the the idea of not divided or dual, which is what the word individual is supposed to really mean uh connotatively we bring it together we're we're we're, we're Uh, uniting what was once separated and making it into one, hence the term individual representing one being, not a divided or dual being. So that would be, you know, you could look at it in either one of these interpretations. If we're talking about green language, we could look at it being in the state of being divided and dual, or we could look at it as not divided, not dual. Um, Both of these, I would say, as far as green language is concerned, you could, you know, pick one or the other depending on which way you want to perceive or look at the term from. I tend to look at it from the more positive aspect or the positive uh, you know interpretation but uh, green language can work in both ways, and you could see both sides of it when you break down English words like that for for sure
1: yeah, I guess it's a bit of that uh glass hatful uh, metaphor
2: sure, sure. Uh, And there's a lot of uh, green language terms that work that way. You could see both the negative and the uh, positive aspect of it. It just depends on how you break it down and how you interpret the different components of the word if you're going to analyze it, quote, magically like that. And, you know, I I definitely think there's value in doing that with with words, particularly English words, because, you know, so many people insist, oh, you know, you're just looking for something that isn't there. But there is real magic and value in how language is structured. It's not done just purely accidentally or coincidentally. There's a, for me at least, there's a reason for why words were made the way that they were. Even if it wasn't deliberate in the intent of the people who were constructing the language over time, uh, it came through. The universe brought that meaning through to the to the modern day somehow and it's up to us to look at how we're going to interpret that and find meaning in it and that's what green language is all about
1: Uh, i also have another one sure Uh, i don't know if this one is good but um when you take cops it's not really green language but it's sort of a creative spin on it okay Uh, you get the ops or criminal offering protective services (laughs)
2: kind of an acronym
1: yeah right (laughs) so uh that's all i'm gonna say for this week thanks
2: you got it thank thanks for that thomas and uh let's hear from phil in oregon phil you're live on what on earth is happening welcome
0: hey mark uh great presentation man now uh there any wealthy people out there listening uh, with some extra cash. Please sponsor this, man. I mean, Mark's doing the great work, everybody. If uh, Even the regular listeners, if we could all come together, throw Mark five bucks each, we could really facilitate uh, Mark getting more presentations out like this.
2: Not just presentations, but really what a lot of the donations that people are giving are going to go to in the very near future is uh, the actual pressing of physical books, because I I plan, hopefully, if all goes according to plan, by sometime uh, around the first quarter of next year. I'm not going to hold myself to that, but I'm projecting to have my first book published. Awesome. Hey, Phil, stay with us. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break, okay? Okay. Stay with us, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. We'll be right back. is happening here on RBN. This is the final segment for tonight's broadcast. We're taking your calls and we were on the line with Phil in Oregon. Phil was uh, imploring people if they were in a position to do so to make a voluntary donation to what on earth is happening. So, um, you know, if you can do that, I mentioned at the beginning of the show uh, how to do that with the donation button on my website, but um, I just want to say before Phil continues that... um, <clears throat> I think the best way anybody can donate to the show, to my work, to what I do in any way, is to put the truth out there for yourself. And I mean by structuring it and making it clear to understand and putting your, your own style to it and then putting it out there for other people. Online, I mean, like actually put it out there for the world. You know, even if you're going to do something like lectures or presentations in your area, you could do it at community centers or wherever, okay? Uh, record it. Put it online for people, you know? If you're going to write a book, put it out there. Um, you know, there's so many different ways people can reach out. You can make a website. You could you could do blogging. I'm, not, I'm saying don't just go on Facebook and type to a few people, here's what I think is going on. That's not getting the message out there, Okay? You know, that's getting lost in in a huge amount of noise that goes on out there. I'm talking about put it out in a structured way. Put it out in a concise way, in a way that makes sense, in a way that is clearly organized for people to understand it. That's how you put the truth out there to people. And if enough of us do that, we'll make headway. So, uh, Phil, thanks so much for that sentiment, and I'll let you continue.
0: Yeah, no worries. Um, Now, I'm going to try to make some things before I ask the question. Um, this intervention uh, might be the cause of uh, humanity's kind of schizophrenic nature. I remember Michael Tessarian talking about the idea, or entertaining the idea that yogis tried to um, purge the interventionist uh, DNA from them through, through their own consciousness. Now, um, I'm an artist, and the torment comes uh, in waves, so sometimes I'm great, and then sometimes it just hits hard, and uh I've noticed a pattern like uh, by exercising as an exorcism, exorcising the shadow content of my own psyche through creative expression seems to diffuse or neutralize this this problem. And sure. we don't do this as a collective whole. And um, That's why
2: creativity is so frowned upon by the control system. That's why they don't want you exploring or engaging in those centers of yourself.
0: Right, yeah. I noticed that, like, when I think about uh, past hardcore uh, situations I was in when things were just dark, I needed to draw the darkest thing I could, and everybody's like, why are you doing that? That's just sick, you know? I'm like, I, I don't know. And, I, and now I, now that I have the, the insight, I'm like, oh, that's why I was doing that. But um, now, uh, let me think, how do I phrase this? Um, how, what, now, what practical methods did you use when you were... Uh, going through your deprogramming process to actually uh, bring the subconscious issues up to the conscious mind. Now, can you uh, kind of demystify that like like your presentation and uh, uh, give us, you just acknowledge it, uh, sit with it, and then let it go? Is that healing, or can you go through that?
2: Essentially, I did that through the form of such immense depression, sitting with it, sitting and exploring that darkness, that... I had made a realization somewhere in that agony and pain and suffering that it was either to expand and grow my consciousness from there and get out of the rut that I was in and go into real knowledge and real exploration of the self and get out of the egoic frame of mind that I was somehow made the recognition that I was trapped in or die. That's it. it I, I, people ask me how I, how I came out of the satanic consciousness and mindset that I was once in. And the answer was I suffered so badly that it finally snapped me out of it. The suffering snapped me out of it. This is why I try to explain other methods of you know um, working with the psyche so that people don't have to take that path. That's the path of it's hitting rock bottom. That, essentially that's how it happened for me. Um, I don't think it has to be like that for other people, and there's other methodologies available. There's meditation, there's emotional freedom technique, there's getting onto a really, really healthy diet early in the process, which I didn't do. I did it much later in the process, getting into a good, uh, healthy, high nutrient density plant-based diet. Um, You know, uh, there's um, uh, psychedelics is an option if you can explore that in a responsible way um, you know there's many other techniques as well and and we've talked about them here on the air in the solutions section uh, you know mindfulness uh, understanding present moment awareness um, really deeply looking just you know Knowledge of the truth itself is one of the ways to do it. Literally, just going and researching what the hell is going on on this planet, what is really taking place in the world, can snap you out of an egoic trance mind state, you know, uh, or a, a state of, you know, depression to a point where if you understand what's really going on and you don't let that overwhelm you and you say, hey, action has to be taken in order to counter this. You know, and you you take a balanced approach when it comes to looking at what is, and then saying, well, if enough people join the dynamic to counteract this negativity, we can reverse it. You know, that's part of the process. That's part of the healing process as well. Again, what really did it for me, I you know, it's not you know encouraging to most people was I hit rock bottom through suffering so badly in my daily personal life. That I had to make a conscious decision at some point that it was either leave this totally egoic, satanic mindset and work upon yourself or die. Because that that's where I was headed.
0: Okay, nice. So you're saying there's uh, no real magic wands. It is a choice. Know your triggers and it's lifelong lifelong homework.
2: It's it's willpower. It's all ultimately comes down to do you have the willpower to pull yourself up by an act of your own strength, and that does not mean you cannot rely on others to help you along in that process. That's what an alchemist or an assistant in that process is. You know, other people helped me in that process. You know, there were mentors, there were people who gave freely of their knowledge. You know, and I had to have the internal uh, insight or wisdom to listen. When somebody else spoke to me with knowledge to, to say, hey, I'm wrong about this. This person does know what they're talking about. They're in a better position than I am. And then you had to actually actually use your will to change what you were doing. It's not just about knowing it. It's about first hearing it and knowing it and recognizing, hey, this is true. Then you have to say to yourself, well, am I doing that? Am I aligning myself with that process or that you know philosophy? And if the answer is no, the answer is I have to admit that I'm wrong and then change and actually align my behavior in that way. That's the hard part, and that requires willpower. And so to go back to your question or your comment, yes, there is no shortcut. There, it, it's a, it, is a, it is a linear process of working upon the self with sustained willpower. And again, if you don't inherently have that, you have to build it slowly, and you may need to build that slowly with others' help. It doesn't mean you have to do it completely alone.
0: Awesome. Uh, Great answer. I'm going to bring up one thing you said in the past real quick. Uh, Your cut off the causer's idea, I think that that might be a a huge um, priority right now. If we could do like a a documentary to uh, connect with the police and the military, because it's, it's out of hand. I I had a encounter a few months ago, and that's that's a huge issue. If we can get to these people yes. like a grassroots way, somehow maybe set up a community for them leaving yep. the force. Or, yeah, or, I'm going to formulate
2: know, some kind of an idea and work with it over the next several months. Maybe you know early next year, come up with something a little bit more definitive. I've just floated the idea out there up to. To this point, uh, but we need some kind of a fr- ground up, grassroots effort to basically break down. Ideological support for people engaged in violence in this country in particular and throughout the world in general. Uh, And, you know, I'm open to ideas and suggestions when it comes to that as long as they're, you know, heartfelt and serious suggestions. Uh, I'd be, uh, you know, interested in hearing what people have to say on that. Phil, thanks so much for the call. Great points you brought up. That's unfortunately all the time we have on this episode of What on Earth is Happening, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, there's only two mistakes that one can ever make on the path to truth not starting and not going all the way we'll see you right here next week